Good morning, everyone. Oh, you guys are, some of you are good. So, good morning, everyone. Very good. I appreciate that. Uh, it is a blessing to be in the house of the Lord, to worship you guys, and just be able to, to, to see you guys' face. Um, I'm excited to be here. I, I love coming to church, and, and we're talking about today keeping Christ in the Christian life. And uh, it's going to be, a, it's for, for me, this is a very uh, challenging sermon to preach on today. Because it goes against a lot of the nature I have in my, in my life. Uh, but before I begin, if you go ahead and turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be covering chapter or verses 6 to 23 in, in the verses. But it's interesting, Mac, when his prayer was, he said, for the next hour, I can preach. Normally, it's 45 minutes, so I've just been extended through the power of God um, to be able to preach an hour. And unfortunately, that clock's, that clock's not working still. So, guys, we're going to be here for a while. Don't look to your right. Just look, keep on looking to your left. Uh, but we, I'm glad you guys are here. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my family and I were able to go on a, fam, uh, on a vacation down to um, um, South Padre Island. I didn't know where we went. It was a long trip. It was a long, long trip. And, and during that time, uh, we, we were on a, like two days before it ended, we were, we, the kids wanted to go on a banana boat. I don't know. I've never been on a banana boat before. It's not that worth. It's not worth eighty bucks. Um, just YouTube it. That's the joy you'll get. And uh, so we're on this banana boat. And I tell my kids, okay, if I fall off and I say help, that means I've lost my glasses, and you need to dive off the boat and just help me find my glasses. So we hit a couple of waves, and like the third wave, we're into it. I fall off, my glasses pop off, and I'm yelling help to my kids because I can't see a thing without my glasses. And so they all dive off. They're good, responsive kids. They're trying to help me find the glasses, and of course, we never find them. Okay, I have my 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 vision in my left eye is like negative seven point two five, and my vision in my right is like negative five two four or two five, whatever it is. And uh, I'm basically blind without my glasses. And so I don't know about you, but how many of you guys like to be in control? Raise your hand. Raise your hand now. All right, raise it. All right. Yeah, I like to be in control. I like to boss people around. It's my job. Safety guy. And uh, I'm tell if you're, if you're like doing stuff in the morning, you shouldn't be standing on chairs. You should have ladders. Um, it's a safety violation. I'm not making eye contact with anyone. Uh, anyway, I'm just joking. Anyway, so the funny thing is, so my wife gets to drive. So we, we have a horrible time with uh, our airplane, our flights laid, delayed, all this kind of stuff. So Lori Jane, bless her little heart. And I mean that, I really do mean that. Um, she, she gets to drive in Denver. Okay, if you're a controllist and you like to drive, having your wife drive and you can't see anything is a very, very bad combination. It's very, because you're just kind of gripping and you're kind of, you're gritting your teeth and you're just praying that God is in control and he's going to take the will from your wife and uh, it, it's going to be okay. Amen. So, so the funny thing is, I, so I always have an extra pair of glasses at home, so I was going to find my glasses, and of course I couldn't find them. So, so my wonderful prescription is like lens crafters who says they can do it in an hour. It takes two weeks for me. So I got these prescription glasses, sunglasses, and I'm not going to put them on because it's going to mess up my microphone, and then it's going to be 20 minutes to get, me, get this thing back on. But for three days, I walked around like this. During the morning, during the evening, everywhere I went, I was wearing my stupid sunglasses. But the cool thing is I could kind of see. These are two years old. And so Lori and I went to Lens Crafters in uh, Salt Lake. And, of course, I like to, 
I like to have fun. So we go to, we go to some restaurant, and I'm walking in. I have my hand on her back, acting like I'm blind. <laughs> and, of course, my wife is very proper. Quit that. Stop it. You're not blind. And, of course, I'm just, I'm just kind of walking. I thought maybe we get a better table. Maybe we get a discount. Uh, it didn't, didn't work, especially when I was looking at the menu. The, the waiter was like, you know, I think he, he was a little, I thought he was probably, was probably from Colorado or something like that, uh, a little different. And uh, so anyway, so it's interesting, though, I, I bring that up because so many times we are so used to being in control. We are so used to, to being in control of our lives and the situation around us. We think we are in control. And especially in our Christian life as well, many times we think that we are in control of our Christian life today. And we're going to kind of go off of Colossians, as I said earlier. And it's interesting, with Colossians, we're going to be talking about a couple of different things here. The secret to following Jesus is not to, to try hard to keep all the rules and expectations, but is to have a relationship with Christ. I want to ask you a question today, and you don't have to answer it, but why, but why are you here? Well, really, why are you here in church today? If you're a Longfellow kid, you have to be here. No choice. You want to do something throughout the week, you're going to be in church on Sunday, unless you're working, and that only happens once in a while. You know, so why are we here today? There are sometimes we have this image and this idea in our minds that we go to church because we have to go to church for our salvation. You know, and Michael said last week that do not forsake the, the gathering together of believers. And that's why I love Sunday mornings, coming together and, and worshiping people and, and just having a great time. And I don't think church should be boring. I, I truly think church should be exciting and, and ju- juvenating and just a, a lot of fun. I mean, I know Jason, every single time I see him, I give him a kidney punch. That's our love. That's our love connection. He always wants to throat punch me. I kidney punch him. And... Um, that's how I respond in love. We don't do it hard. Um, I should say that. So for the young people, don't come up and kid, hit me in the kidneys or anything. But it's interesting. I think church should be something that a lot of us don't always think it should be. Um, so we're going to talk about rules and regulations today. We're going to talk about how being a Christian today is not by what we do, but what Christ did for us. And, and for, for a very long time, as we look at the scriptures I hope each one of you have a devotional life. I hope each one of you have a prayer life. I hope each one of you has some type of discipline in your life that you spend alone with God. But I want to tell you that there's a lot of different authors out there who who gives different recommendations on how you should do it. Spend 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the evening, whatever it is. But it's really just that following Christ and making him the center of your life each and every day. I tell you, I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to pray to be saved, do I? Well, let me tell you, a lot of us in, in our core gut with a, whoa, wh- what are you saying? How many of you, you truly believe you have to go to church to be saved? Don't raise your hand, please. Okay, but there's a lot of us that have gone on and have bought into the religious society that you have to do certain things in order to be saved. That you have to read your Bible 30 minutes a day. You have to spend time with, with non-believers and so on and so forth, whatever it may be. And you have to go to church, otherwise you're not saved. And let me tell you, think about your relationship with your spouse or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whoever, or just maybe a, a good, good friend of yours. Are you, is your relationship based upon rules and regulations or is it based upon your relationship with that person? It's really based upon the relationship and loving that person for who they are, not for the rules and things that you do for one another. Because, man, I'm so thankful. My wife doesn't have a lot of rules for me. We have a couple. Put your dirty laundry in the laundry basket. 
guys, we struggle, don't we? I mean, it's like three feet away. That's a long ways away to put your underwear in there. It really is. Um, and we, we have a different rules that we have to go by in order to make sure my wife is happy and make sure I'm happy too in our relationship. But the interesting thing is we look at this. Prayer and Bible says, I talked about earlier, is not necessarily a descriptor divine path to relationship with God. Now, don't get me wrong. Reading your scriptures and praying to God is huge in your relationship with Almighty Learning who God is is how you study the scriptures and how what God says in the word of God and praying and communicating to him is a beautiful thing. But churches today have gone to this point that if you don't do certain things, then you're not in a good relationship with God Almighty. How many of us, for us older people, that if you didn't wear your very best on Sunday mornings, you weren't a good Christian? Do you remember those days? And we had to have the little suit and tie, the little clip-on tie, because we didn't know how to tie a tie. You know, we had to have our good shoes on, our good pants on. We had to look the part. Even on the inside, we didn't want to be at church. And how many people really dress up today, and they want to look good on the outside, but on the inside, they don't really want to be here. I like Max's prayers that we will have that divine appointment with God, that we will spend time with him, and we'll be able to see who he is. Over the centuries, the leaders and the teachers of the, of the church have grappled with the question, how do I live a Christian life? How do I really get into a relationship with God, and how do I live with it? How do I live doing this Christian life today? Because I don't know about you, but I sin every day. I, mean, I strive to live that righteous life with God. I strive to do the right thing and make the right decisions, but my sinful nature continually comes out. Does yours? Okay, a bunch of y'all just lied because you didn't agree with me. So you just agreed with me there. But, but that's how it, how it works. So in the me medieval time, there was monks who devoted themselves, who would whip themselves, who would show people that they were honestly searching God by putting their lives in pain, in th their life in pain. Today, Christians make all kinds of rules that aren't even the Bible. Many Christians today are like Pharisees. We're usually not taken to the extreme, but with the same intention, that you have to do this in order to have a relationship with God. You have to do this in order to be able to be saved, so on and so forth. And we're going to talk about obedience, okay? Because I, let me just preface this. So you cannot say Michael Longfellow believes you can do anything and everything in the Christian walk. Because I do not believe you can do anything and everything in the Christian walk and still call yourself a Christian. So let me back up one more step. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. All right, let's make sure we're all on the same path there. Okay, if you disagree, you can send me emails later. I check my email quite often. <laughs> Every 30 days, whatever it is. Not really, I do check it more often now. Um, but here's the interesting aspect about this. Is that with this idea that we as Christians are supposed to be different from the rest of the world. We as Christians are supposed to have that joy of the Lord as our strength. We as our Christians are supposed to be the salt and the light of the world. And what does that mean for you and I? That means that when we decide to follow Christ, that when we decide to truly follow him with everything we have, that means we sell out to God and everything is behind us is dead. Our relationships with our family, our relationship with our friends, our relationship wherever, and just the material possessions we have is nothing compared to our love that we should have for Christ Almighty. And so when we look at that, I want you to understand the idea that when we look in the book of Colossians, we see Jesus is exalted and supreme. 
We see that he is the head and the Lord of all things, truly God and truly human. And in him, our sins are forgiven and reconciled to God. So though we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've been forgiven our sins, we still have that sinful nature, but we are still being saved each and every day, going back to, going back to um, um, I just forgot the theological word. It's not in my notes. Uh, sanctification. Thank you, Brother Michael. That's why we always have another pastor in the house to help you. All right, so acknowledging him is important. Trusting him is vital. So when you first became a believer in Jesus Christ, you acknowledged him, you acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior, and then now you have to trust him, and trusting is the vital part. I want to throw something out, to, out this to you, because I'm, I'm struggling. Can you trust someone to a small degree? Or if you don't trust someone fully, do you fully trust, do you trust them at all? So I guess my question I come to ask you, because I'm struggling with this in certain situations of my life. If you have broken my trust before and we've tried to regain that trust, do you have a little measure of trust in my life? Do I trust you a little or do I completely trust you? And I think when it comes to a theological point, you trust or you don't. There is no levels or there's no measure of degree where you are at. So in my life today, what I want to say that, man, if I say I trust you, I trust you completely. I will trust you with my finances. I will trust you with my family. I will trust you with what I have if I truly, truly trust you. And so I want to bring that point to where, God, where we are with God. Do we trust God on this measure, or do we fully trust God with everything? And there are times, my friends, I want to say, I, I trust you, God, over here with all this stuff. But over here, it's a, it's a little hard to trust you. So in my mind, I must tell myself I don't trust God at all if I'm struggling. That's, what I'm, that's, that's for me, not for you. But I just want to share you where I'm struggling with right now. Because it's hard when you've been betrayed, when you've been hurt, to trust people, isn't it? Okay, for me, it is. When I've been lied to, when I've been backstabbed, thrown under the bus, whatever the situation is. Can I truly come back to a, a, a point in my life and say, I truly trust that person? And the beautiful thing about with Christ is, Christ is a reconciliation of ministries. That he comes back together with two people that are odds. Just that's free. I won't even charge you for that. All right, so look at, let's look at um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. This is what it says. And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Acknowledging him is extremely important, but you must continue to trust him in all things. The question Paul addresses in this passage, how do you, how do, you do that? And right at the start, he issues a warning. Verse 8, it says this, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophy and high surrounding uh, nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. So not every idea about following Jesus is a good idea. Some are nothing more than high-sounding, empty words and traditions. Some of them are just human-thinking traditions handed down by generations, and some of them have a spiritual origin, but not from God. Either way, they don't from come from, from Christ. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Why do you always have to wear your very best at church on Sunday mornings? Because your mom has told you to. That's the reason being. And here's an old story. I love the story I learned when I was back in college. It was interesting, this, this woman had always wanted to cook a ham on Sunday mornings. It was a roast ham. She got the roast ham. She cut the butt off the ham, and she threw, the rest of the, she threw that part away. 
And so she cooks the ham, and there's plenty of ham for everyone. And, and the, mom, the little daughter who's cooking with her mom says, Hey, Mom, why did you cut the butt in off the ham and throw that away? She says, I, I, My mom always did it that way, and that's why I do it. So the, the mom starts to question and say, Hey, maybe I should ask my mom why she did it. So the mom asks her mom, so we're talking to the grandma. She says, Mom, why did you always cut the butt end off the ham? She said, Well, my pan wasn't big enough. For the ham, so I always had to cut the ham off and throw that part away. (laughs) Don't we do stupid things like that as well in church and Christianity? That we think we have to do something because it's going to bring us a better relationship with God? Why do we close with our? Why do we pray with our eyes closed? It's not how Jesus prayed. Do you know one of the reasons why we teach our children to pray? with our eyes closed, so they won't be distracted. Now, how many of you have, remember your kids doing this when they pray? Yep. I, you know, I'm always praying, Lord, please be with this little child or child who's opening their eyes during prayer. I, I love to harass my kids during, well, not during prayer, but sometimes I did. Uh, but that we, we did that, but we teach our children to sometimes close to remove all the distractions away from us. And sometimes now we think, man, you're not very spiritual if you don't have your eyes closed during a prayer. What's that have to do with your relationship with God? Absolutely nothing. Do you talk to your wife that way? Hey, honey, <laughs> we need to talk today. <laughs> We, we, we find that humorous, but that's how we do it with God. And my wife would be a little perturbed if I did that with her. And I'm, I'm sure your spouse would as well. But the interesting thing is, as we look at this, we, we look at the church traditions, we look at some of these things, and we think they're trying to bring us closer to God. And really, it's becoming condemnation upon us rather than having a relationship with God. You didn't do these things, so you're not very spiritual. You're not doing these things, so you don't have that good relationship with God Almighty. So on and so forth. And it's this idea of the judgment that's coming upon us. So when we look at this, we'll start by looking at two wrong approaches. Paul's calling out, with those who might look in our culture, then we'll backtrack. So the first one, following Jesus is not about meeting the expectations of others. How many of you have expectations from other people? Oh, we all do. How many of you have expectations from people in the church? Man, Michael, you got to be here on Sunday. It's your job. You got to preach. You gotta preach on Sunday, so you gotta be here. And plus, Michael, sorry, he's gotta be here a lot more than anyone else. But, but is that an expectation we put on him? It is. But is that based upon his salvation with God? Absolutely not. But we as Christians sometimes put that expectation upon other people that they're not doing something right, so we become the judge rather than people who are loving each other. So, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 19 says this. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or not celebrating certain holidays or the new moon, ceremonies or the Sabbath. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of the angels saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds may have had, made them proud and they are not connected to Christ their head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with his joints and the ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. So don't let anyone condemn you. This is literally meaning don't let anyone pass judgment upon you for traditions rather than base your relationship upon God with a relationship. What can you control whether you accept people's judgment? 
Here's the thing. People are going to judge you, aren't they? We live in a society where we are constantly being judged. But here's the idea that you can, or you are the only person that will be able to accept that person's condemnation. You're the only person that is able to be receive it or reject it. And there's a lot of condemnation that you should not have to go through. Because I believe in Romans, it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning there is nothing that can come against you when God, well, well, I'm sorry, when the evil one is reminding you of your past. When he's reminding you that you are not worthy to be a child of God. When you have done all these horrible, wretched things. The Bible says that there's no condemnation when you're in Christ. Everything has been forgiven. There's nothing that the evil one can bring back and say, you are not worthy to be in church today because of these things. My friends, I want to remind you just one thing, that this is not the church. You, my friends, are the church. You are the church. So there is no condemnation in your life when you've accepted God and you've trusted him in through Jesus Christ. No condemnation. So don't let someone remind you about your divorce issues. Don't let someone remind you about pornography. Don't let someone remind you about your stupid decisions you've made. And let me just get me wrong. We've all made stupid decisions. Oh my goodness. I could be here all day to tell you how the stupidity I've done in my life. But the beautiful thing is God is, he doesn't remember that anymore. It is gone. There is no condemnation. And if someone tries to bring it into my life, Michael, do you remember when you used to do these things? I have the choice whether to receive that condemnation or to reject it. Reject it. And I am able to say in the presence of God Almighty, there is no condemnation for me on those things. I may live with the consequences. I may live with the decisions I made. But there is no condemnation through God's eyes. All right. It's an awkward moment. A lot of people want to make themselves a referee in your relationship with Jesus. Don't get me wrong. There's a point of accountability. Man, if if there are people in my life that I'm doing something that I should not be doing, they have the ability and the right and the freedom to come to my life and say, hey, Michael, what you're doing is not right. And we have that ability, that that, that accountability. But we're not talking about that type of situation. We're talking about the situation where we are having dietary restrictions, where we only can celebrate things on holidays, the the pious act of self-denials, or the visions of supernatural experiences. I've heard people in, in churches say, you're not saved if you don't speak in tongues. You're not saved if you haven't had a vision from the Lord. So on and so forth. I've heard people say also that if you have not... Um, if you don't go to church every Sunday, you're not saved. So following Jesus gets twisted into living up to where people expect, what they expect from you, not into relationship. And I tell you, my friends, this is easy to say, but each one of us has expectations upon us that we feel that we have to do in order for God to love us. Don't we? I, I think so. That I'm not going to be loved by God if I don't do these certain things. Am I going to mess up? I'm going to fail? Absolutely. Some churches and the people measure you by what you wear, how you look. Some Christians even haven't had the spiritual manifestation if you haven't been received by the Spirit of God in certain ways. What's wrong with this whole life in the Christian realm? Four things. It elevates humans' applications over the Scriptures. 
Most of these expectations are formed by people trying to obey the scriptures and extra rules that we put on with it. it. By in doing so, we go beyond what God has said and we have an idea of what God really wants from us, but it's really not from God. Here's something very interesting. With any young person, with any boy that wants to date my daughters, we have an interview time. And it's, to me, it's fun. And I'm not going to look over and make eye contact with anyone. But during this time, I, we, and, and we talk about stuff. I remember being a young kid. I, I remember I, we didn't have as many availabilities of sin back then as we do now with the Internet. And so when I'm sitting down, I, I asked the young kid, young person, I said, what's your intention with, with my daughter? How far are you going to go? Holding hands, kissing, so on and so forth. Where are you with pornography? I, and this is in a public restaurant. And I, I could care less. I'm not embarrassed. I'm old enough. I don't care. These are my daughters. You know, they're my responsibility. And the thing is, I, when I talk to them about these things and my expectations... There is a requirement of what I desire, but the expectation is how they're going to treat my daughter. You know, texting is to say, hey, you're in the front door or in the car waiting for you. It's not going to work. You know, I have certain levels of how I want my daughters treated and how my family be treated as well. Because it goes about, some of it goes to rules, because I'm a dad and I can do that. But also it goes to a relationship. I want them to have a healthy relationship with my daughters and not just this lusting relationship with my daughters. Okay, can I, can I guys, I want, I want to talk to you just for a second because this is on my heart. So ladies, you get to listen in. Um, we live in a society where sex is all around us. Lusting is all around us. I mean, you go to the grocery store and there's the magazines of, of whoever and they're half naked, they're half dressed. Every morning I try to wake up and make a, make a vow to God that I will not look upon a woman lustfully, that I won't do a double take. Man, I work in the oil field now, and it's, it's bad. Everything's a sexual joke. Everything is a sexual joke. And, and, and with that, I say there's times in our lives, guys, that we have to make sure we are pure with our relationship with God, but also pure with our relationship with our spouse as well. I'll tell you this. I thought once I got married at the age of 21, I didn't think I'd have any more lusting issues. I thought, man, once, once you have sex, you're good to go. And you don't have to worry about lusting. You don't have to worry about that woman walking by. The mind of the man is not set up that way. Isn't that gentlemen, is that true? Don't leave me hanging. This is not good. Or my wife and I are going to be talking afterwards. All right, my wife knows where we are now. She knows the, my mind and how we generate towards lust. I can go to a radar, radar movie and see people die and people shot, but I cannot go to a radar movie and see sex. Do you know the reason why? Is the reason why when you see that sex, when you see someone who is naked, this is most for guys, then that image is burned into your mind. And it's very, very difficult to get that image out of your mind. So that's why it's so hard and so, it's not hard, it's so 
difficult. It's so, it is hard to make sure you're keeping pure, a relationship pure with your wife and your wife alone. And boy, guys, I'm sorry, not boys. Guys, we could talk about that a lot, couldn't we? Because how easy it is to look at Facebook or Instagram and, and whatever it is and see those images and can you continue to think, that's what I want, that's what I desire. And really, that's not what you want. That's not what you desire. You want a relationship where someone's going to love you for who you are and build you up and respect you. All right, we could go on. One more point. We're on this. I'm a little off subject already. I remember in college, we had chapel in the Bible college every Tuesday and then Thursdays. Lori and I was courting. We decided we were going to get married. And during the time of courting, she, she tried to hold my hand during chapel. And I had to tell her, I'm sorry, I can't hold your hand. And it was kind of a, she was kind of hurt. Uh, she said, why can't you hold my hand during chapel? We're here to worship God. I said, because my mind is not focused upon God during this time. It's focused upon you and you holding my hand. It's right. So ladies, I just want you to, Understand, man, when you get a guy who loves you for who you are in Christ Jesus, hold on to him. And understand that we are weird people. Amen. We are so, so weird. Um, that the testosterone, amen. And the cool thing is, Michael and I already have these conversations. I'm saying, man, this is kind of weird. I don't understand my wife. She just, she's awesome, but she wants me to hold her. Why? I don't know. Anyway, after, after 21 years now, I know why. I do know why. And we got to keep moving because we are like, we got to move. It's a moving target. So if we are trying to, to uh, if we're trying to keep up with the traditions of life, if we're trying to keep traditions of the church, it's a moving target and it's hard to hit. Um, there's always someone else with different expectations. There's always someone else saying, you got to do this, you got to do that in order to be a spiritual person, and so on and so forth. These practices, experiences, tend to stir up pride because you can fast, you can pray, you, you can do all these different types of spiritual activities. A lot of times there's pride that builds up in our lives. And God says that pride is, is, is folly. Fall becomes before the, fall, uh, pride becomes before the fall. And my friends, I want to tell you that when we are truly trying to seek out what the church says we should be doing and not the word of God, not Christ says, that we're going to fall into a trap. We, we truly will. And so you can look spiritual on the outside, but on the inside, you're not spiritual at all. And the main problem, the approach disconnects people from Jesus. When you're trying to do certain aspects of life, when you're trying to do certain things, rather than have a relationship with Christ, that is the major issue. The Christian faith today is about a relationship with God, not doing things for God. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe we should serve. I believe we should tithe. I think we should evangelize. I think we should do all those things. But those things come from the fruit of the love that you have for God. That's where those things come from. I don't serve God because I have to. I do it because I want to show God how much I love him and how much I adore him and how much he brings joy in my life. And I want other people to know what I have in my life that you would have that in your life as well. Let me tell you, I love when I serve my wife, when I make dinner, when I do dishes or whatever I do. I love when I can serve her because that helps my relationship with her. She knows I appreciate her from all the things that she does, that she does for our family. 
And so when I'm able to step in, it's not because I have to do those things. It's because I want to do those things to, for to show the love I have. It's interesting, the Christian faith and our relationship with our spouses very much go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. And sometimes that's scary though, isn't it? How many times you yell at your spouse for things that aren't even their fault? Okay, you all do, all right? At one point or another, you yelled or you gave her a snide or him a snide remark because you were frustrated and you think you can take it out on your spouse, but you wouldn't talk to your boss like that. So on and so forth. I'm winded. <laughs> Where's the oxygen? So anyway, if you are one who is holding up others, up to expectations that aren't in the Bible, you're not helping. If you are holding people to high expectations that aren't, are not realistic, you're not helping that person's spiritual life. You're truly not. You're hindering them. And when you define the Christian life in terms of unbiblical expectations, you are hurting the cause of a relationship with Jesus. That leads us to the next failure, the approach to following Jesus. One step beyond living up to the expectations of others. I think we have a slide. <clears throat> a lot of the following Jesus is not about keeping religious rules. I, I told you guys a story. I'm going to tell you one more time. So when my family and I went on family vacation several, several years ago. This is when we were pastoring. We went to this little church in Colorado. And when we, go, when we went on vacations, we had a rule. No one tells anyone I'm a pastor. Because I like to know, to walk into the church and see how people treat you. I want to know how it is to be a visitor and not to be, have that little brand mark on your, on your face. We had been in Estes Park for two or three days. We hadn't showered. We were in shorts. We looked like grease monkeys. We just, you know, we just, we looked like we were not attractive people. So we had six kids and mom and dad walking into this place. I was chewing gum, didn't have my Bible with me. And uh, Sunday school was going on. This church was like 14 people. Uh, when Sunday school caught over, this person came up, talked to us. They said, they gave me a book. I thought, hey, maybe they don't, I don't have a Bible. This is great. They gave me this book. And on the very front cover, it says, the rules of our church. So, oh, yeah, seriously, true story. Can't even make this one up. It's awesome. Well, it's sad, but it's a great sermon illustration. So number one, number one rule of the church. You know what it is? Don't chew gum. Number, guess who's chewing gum? Center Michael Longfellow. Number two rule, don't wear shorts to church. Guess who was wearing shorts? Well, that Michael Longfellow plus seven other Longfellows. We were all wearing shorts. Number, th I don't know if this is number three or what it was. Bring your Bible to church. Okay. We didn't have it. So we, out of their first 10 rules, we broke like nine of them. It was, it was fun, it was sad, but it was also fun. Because then later on, they asked us if we go out to dinner with them. We went out to dinner, I thought, man, this is gonna be fun. And that whole conversation went downhill. Do you guys really know Jesus? Because you're wearing shorts. Do you really know Jesus? Because you're chewing gum. If you're chewing gum, there's no condemnation. Make sure. All right, just, just seeing who was chewing gum or who stopped. But it's interesting in our lives today that we, we do these things. It's not about keeping rules and regulations, is it? It's about a relationship with God. It's about a relationship keeping Christ the center of your relationship and nothing else. Religious, religions are built upon the purpose of trying to reach God. Christianity is about God reaching man. 
There are other examples that Christians think that Christian life is good anything goes, anything goes on. God's grace is a free pass to sin. The Bible doesn't talk about the obedience. There are principles about wise living in the Bible. We are called to be obedient to the word of God and to what God has called us to do. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 and 23. We have to kind of hurry on this one because I, I don't want... We're good on time. You have died with Christ and yet has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious or self-denial, and severely bondly disciple. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. The Bible warns about following these rules. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These rules are mere human teachings. You can see what he's talking about. Strong devotion, pious self-denial, or severe bodily discipline. The approach seems really wise, but religion makes it really like not. How easy is it to think we're doing well as following Jesus because we're keeping the rules. We're keeping the regulations. Have you ever been to church before and you just don't really want to be there? You had a fight with your spouse Things are going wrong at home. Finances are crumbling to, crumbling to, to an end. And you don't know why in the world all these things are happening to you. And the last thing you want to do is come to church and hear a sermon and worship songs. But really where God is able to speak to you, not just in the church building on Sunday mornings, but he can speak to you at home and let you know it's going to be okay. To let you know the circumstances that you are going through is not the end of the of this situation but you're going to be able to conquer it. Providing no help in conquering a person's evil desires. We, we want to say that as Christians, and this is, where I, this is where I struggle. As a Christian, you shouldn't do sinful things. Do you realize how easy it is to be the judge over other people's lives? Oh, they shouldn't do that, they shouldn't do that, they shouldn't do this, so on and so forth. Have you ever heard a good Christian wouldn't do those things? I heard that a lot in, throughout the churches. A good, good Christian shouldn't go to the movies. A good Christian shouldn't play cards. A good Christian shouldn't drink beer, caffeine, whatever else there may be. Don't get me wrong. There is sin in life today that we shouldn't do certain things, not because it's based upon our salvation, but because it's harmful to our bodies. You can keep all the rules Exercise all self-discipline without Jesus. <coughs> but in the end, it's going to come to an end. In the end, the sin that you're struggling with, if you're doing it on your own, will continually overcome you. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit you are able to overcome sin. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit, Him residing in you, that you are able to overcome sin in your life. And remember, don't receive condemnation from people around you. Don't receive that. Don't, when we, isn't it sad when we struggle with sin? Christians around us, rather than trying to help us, tear us down. There was a, a time where Lori was pregnant, and we, Spencer, Spencer was in the womb. We thought we were going to lose him at some point. And during that time, um, we just didn't know what was going on. And there was a guy that came over from a, a different church. It's a small town about Tuna, Kansas, 200 people. 
man, he came in my, in my, my our, I don't know if it was our house or where I was at, but he said, Michael, do you know why you're, you're having so many issues with your baby? I said, no. He says, because there's sin in your life and God wants to take your baby. I really don't believe in hitting people <laughs> unless it's for fun. But I remember I really wanted to throw punch him and lay hands on him in the name of Jesus. <laughs> um, I, I, really, I couldn't believe that. I thought, I thought he was coming come over to my house to help me and say, hey, this is what's going on and, and pray with me. But the reason I'm having issues in my life today is because I have sin in my life and God wants to take my baby. There are Christians, who, people who call themselves Christians, who can be cruel, who can be very uh, condescending. And let me tell you this, my friends, when we are struggling with sin, that is the most, most appropriate time to go someone, to someone and pray with them and encourage them that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to overcome that sin. That's where accountability comes from, my friends. That's where we're able to open up and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, and so on and so forth. That leads to the great question, if, Jesus, <clears throat> if following Jesus is not achieved by following religious rules or by meeting other expectations, how do we get there? Following Jesus is about cultivating a deep connection with him. Again, it's not about just anything goes, but it's about the impression, if, I get, if, if an impression you get it, if I say, it's not about keeping the rules. Our culture today, people think, do whatever you want, but the Bible teaches no. Over. I want to make sure I'm trying to keep to my slides. Here's a key passage. Continue to follow Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says this, And now just as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow deep into him, and let your lives build, be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. He tells us how to do it. There's a couple of things down here, but I want to focus on just a few. Let your roots grow deep into Jesus. It's about your relationship with Christ. And I'm probably sure you've got, got the idea. It's not about rules and regulation, but it's about a relationship with God. But let me tell you, my friends, it's hard to overcome the rules and regulations, isn't it? For me, it is. So it's about that relationship with God. This is what it's about. This is such a powerful picture of Christian life is that when we transplant a, a tree and we put it into the ground and we water the tree and we let it and we see it grow, those roots spread out. How, how many of you ever killed a tree before? Oh my goodness. We, we bought like $200 worth of apple trees one time. We planted them and I let them die. I didn't water them. I thought, well, the rain here in Rock Springs will take care of it. I mean, that's why we're not in Kansas anymore. You know, I thought the, the, the ground is good ground. This is, this is, this is fertile soil. And, I, and we, that tree died. And I thought, I'm never planting a tree again. And so we bought another apple tree, and my wife did all the work. And it, grow, it grows because she watered it. She nurtured it. She took care of it. It takes a lot of time, doesn't it, to go out there, turn the sprinkler on, let it water, Put a little um, miracle grow on or whatever you do and let the thing grow. Do you realize with your Christian walk, it takes a little time also to develop that relationship with God, to start to trust him, to start to honor him, to start to do, to, to, to do what God wants you to do? It takes time to do that, but it's worth it because you see the fruits in the end. 
There's a reason why Jesus is the only source of real life. In Colossians chapter uh, 2, verses 8 and 10, <coughs> excuse me, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophy. We already covered that part. I'm so sorry. Let's go to Colossians chapter uh, 2, verses 12 through 13. Jesus raised you to a new life. For you were buried with Christ, you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. After he died on the cross, he raised Jesus back to the again, and you and I were raised in a new life with God Almighty. There's another reason why trying to live up to expectations won't work. If Jesus had done this powerful, intentional resurrection... How can rituals or regulations do the same thing that the death of Jesus do for us? When you become a Christian, it's not just a matter of what you believe, what truth you profess, taking on the label. It's truly believing in the one. You become a different person, changed from the inside out in a way that you can never do for ourselves. It's the new identity that you have in Christ Almighty. And that's why we live to follow God. It's interesting that um, I want to conclude with this. How do I be a better a Christian? First of all, you trust God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Second, you don't wait, you don't believe that you have to do certain things to have that relationship with God. I don't know about you, I love date nights with my wife. Absolutely love date nights. We do it once a week. If you don't do a date night, you should do a date night. And it's interesting, you want to see the difference between people that have been married a long time and people that are, are dating, or people new? You go to the restaurants, if you go today, you will see young people who are dating, and what do they do? They talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. They keep on talking. People that have been married a long time, what do they do? They eat their food. <laughs> you know, they seriously, if you don't believe me, go to the restaurant. Lord and I, man, we can be in a restaurant 15 minutes and we're gone, we're done. You know, eat our food, we're God. We, we do talk. I love talking. But here's the beautiful thing. It's interesting with date nights. If you don't do date nights, you need to do a date night at least once a week. That's my marriage counseling for you for the, for the whole year. Do a date night. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, months ago, whatever it was, I had to go to Texas. Lori and I's thing is going to watch movies together. We love the Marvels. We love the, the action pack. We do the romance, chick flicks once in a while uh, when she drags me in and we have to do it. And... Uh, so I'm in, I'm in Texas. I'm in Katy, Texas. I just got done with this two weeks of training. Absolutely horrible. And I thought, well, to celebrate, I'm going to go see a movie. And so I, I get, go to the movie. The movie tickets are $15. All right, that's, that's expensive on my budget. So I, I buy a little pizza because I'm celebrating. I buy a Dr. Pepper because I'm really celebrating. And I go into the theater. I'm, wa- I'm about to start watching this movie. These chairs recline, and they do some vibration things. And and I'm like, that's kind of weird. Um, so, so I'm about, the movie's about to start. And I think to myself, this is going to be a great movie. And I look over to my left, and there's this guy sitting beside me. I look to my right, and there's this lady sitting beside me. I'm just packed in between these two people. And the whole theater's packed. And I thought to myself, this movie may be great, but it's not going to be as good if my wife wasn't here. It'd be a whole lot better if Lori Jane was here. And, and I thought to myself, this is stupid. So what do I do? I take my pizza, I take my, pet, my Dr. Pepper, and I leave the theater because I don't want to watch a movie without my wife. A very, very trivial thing. We still haven't seen the movie yet. 
But I thought to myself, movies are great because I'm there with someone I love. They're there because I'm able to hold someone's hand and laugh with them about the movie. And I want to bring that to a relationship here with us in church and God. Your relationship with, with God should be the most exciting, special relationship you have with, with him with, compared to anyone else. And I want to encourage you, if your relationship with God is not there yet, I want you to seriously open your heart up to God and what God has to say to you. It's not about the rules. It's not about the regulations. It's not about all that stuff that society and the church puts upon us. But it's about enjoying God's presence and his company. I will tell you, my friends, when you trust God, God's going to do some mighty, mighty things in your life. Even if you're struggling to trust God, God is still going to do some pretty exciting and mighty things in your life. Set our hearts upon God. Set our heart on pursuing God in his word, in prayer, and in worship. Turn your relationship with God into an adventure, not just a duty. So I will tell you, my friends, if my relationship with my wife was just a duty, our relationship of 21 years would be very, very boring. But our relationship is pretty exciting, even after 21 years of marriage. And that's why I want my relationship with God, to trust him with everything I have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you, God. And Lord, I, I struggle with keeping you the center of my life and not the rules and the regulations. Lord, I, I, I'm coming to the point in my life, I don't care what people think about me, as long as I'm right with you. Please, please, Lord, don't get me wrong. I, I want to make sure I'm above reproach. I want to make sure I have a good reputation. I want to be the light in the community of the world. But Lord, I don't want my relationship based upon rules and regulations, things that I cannot keep up with. But Lord, you loving, you loving me and me loving you, I can keep up with that. Lord, you will take me at your pace. You will take my my trust one step at a time, and you will let me grow. Lord, I pray today that there are people here that have never received you as Lord and Savior. Lord, they never received that gift that they will do so today, that they will go to the prayer room, and they will pray, and they will search you out. And Lord, I, I pray, God, that it's about that relationship with you that we need most about you loving us and us loving you. Lord, move in our lives. Make us strong. Lord, let us read your scriptures. Let us pray with fervency. Let us trust with you with all that we have. But Lord, let us do that because of the love you've given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.